0: the tea plant is an evergreen and so there are leaves on the tea plant that we allow to grow to be mature and are never harvested you know from the plant and so when we go to harvest the tea plant we're harvesting the tender new leaf and and the emerging leaf which we call a bud you know and it's a bud until it opens up and becomes a leaf we're harvesting that kind of tender new growth that comes out of the plant
1: Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about coffee. But today is different. We're talking about tea. We're in our three episodes. We're in the second of three episodes about tea. Katie, how are you? Me? Well, yeah. Tired. I hear you. Well, okay. So today, we're talking about as far as the different teas uh-huh. like today and next time or this this episode next episode we'll be talking we'll be breaking down all the different ones and today we'll be talking about green tea and white tea and matcha so I love matcha I was going to say since you're tired if you had to pick one of those three
2: I don't think I would pick tea for tiredness unless I was going to sleep but that's just me
1: So like what do you drink tea for
2: I just drink it for fun, or I drink it to like sit down and have like a little cutesy cup of tea. Yeah, that's why I drink tea. I don't drink it for caffeine whatsoever,
1: because okay. it does have caffeine in it. It um,
2: does. I'm just not it's just super. Not like caffeine. I'm not super caffeine sensitive, uh-huh. so like I've drinking.
1: You've, you've well drank.
2: Um, drinking.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: Anyway, uh like 200 milligrams worth of caffeine mm-hmm. at like 10 went to bed by ten thirty. yeah like it really doesn't affect me it's probably much. because
1: you're sleep deprived
2: well no yes i am sleep deprived but also i think that like caffeine it doesn't really like i feel like it just affects it makes my mind clearer yeah. And so, like, if I'm going to sleep and I, like, turn on, like, a bedtime story or something, which is most nights, don't judge. It really helps, actually. I highly recommend. Um, then, like, I, what you do is you basically train your brain to stop thinking, and then you can fall asleep faster. And so, now I can just, like, knock out. It's nice.
1: Well, I, I enjoy tea for the taste, but I also drink it for, like, a like a mid-level caffeine as far as like I would rather um, I would rather uh, not have the intensity of the caffeine that you get in coffee, but I'm just looking for just a little bit. But also, I'll be quick to say, I also like the taste. And of green, white, and matcha, I don't know. Like the next episode, we're going to talk about the ones that I really like. So I don't know which one I pick with this one.
2: You probably like green tea.
1: I don't know. Maybe. I'm not a
2: big white tea girl, but I love green tea. I always drink it when I'm sick, and then I also love matcha. And yeah. Making like matcha lattes with matcha powder. Mm-hmm. It's fun good. stuff. You can get well, really into it. Some people get really into it. Like they have all these tools and stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, I'd say let's just let's just jump right in and let's see what we can learn about green tea, white tea, and matcha with Jeff Shampoo out of uh, Rishi Tea. <laughs> All right, man, we got you back.
0: Hey, Kenneth, nice to see you again.
1: And uh, last time we kind of gave a little bit of background on tea. And, um, you know, wh- what I wanted to get into today, um, which I know our one on especially those who drink coffee, would really appreciate, is the differences in, like, black coffee Uh, green, oolong, um, you know, all of that gamut and even more interesting. And and I guess I kind of, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I guess I kind of liken some of those differences to maybe in coffee, either differences we see in processing methods for the same coffees or even different, we'll say, roast levels for the same coffees. But they are, are an, initially, they're the same bean. So, I don't want to steal your thunder past that. I, but I, but I want to talk, let's start with like, I guess, just the whole gamut from green all the way to black. And what the differences are. And, and even like how the differences in taste and caffeine levels and like, whatever. Have at.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So let's take it to the farm for, for a quick second and talk about what, what exactly are we harvesting from the tea plant. And then we'll talk about how we process the, the leaves. So the tea plant is an evergreen. And so there are leaves on the tea plant that we allow to grow to be mature and are never harvested you know, from the plant. And so when we go to harvest the tea plant, We're harvesting the tender new leaf and and the emerging leaf, which we call a bud. Okay. Yeah, and it's a bud until it opens up and becomes a leaf. We're harvesting that kind of tender new growth that comes out of the plant, usually around the top or the outside of the plant towards the sun. And depending on the growing region, we might harvest – four times per year or maybe even up to eight times per year from the same plants and the tea plant goes through these waves of growth that we call flushes various flushes of new growth coming out of the tea plants and in 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 the growing regions of tea the plants go dormant in the winter time and they stop their growth cycle And during that time, they store their nutrients down into the roots. And then in the springtime, February, March, April, the plants are drawing up those nutrients that were stored in the roots, and they get concentrated into that, what we call the first flush, or the spring harvest uh, on the plants. And so the spring harvest is generally prized more than the later harvests, because it has this like extra concentration of um, nutrients coming up from the roots and the way the chemistry is happening inside the plant at that time of year, you get this really lovely concentration of amino acids, natural plant sugars, and a really delicate tannin structure that makes for very lively and luscious teas. So that first flush spring harvest tends to be the most prized. But as we'll see as we talk through the different families or styles of tea, um, later harvest might be better suited for certain kinds of teas like black tea Mm. compared to the first flush. Um, So that's the general um, nature of what we're harvesting from the tea plant. And for any given style of tea that we might be making, we might be harvesting just the individual buds the unopened new leaf buds that are sprouting up um, a more common harvesting or what we call a plucking standard would be two leaves plus a bud. That's a, a more, uh, the most common bud set that we might collect other styles of tea. We might collect three or four leaves and the bud, and there'll be a, a single stem that connects all of those, um, you know, all of those leaves together in a single, in a single pluck. And, and so those are the, the components that we're harvesting off of the plants and tea is, is processed the same day that it's picked. Okay. So in any given tea farm, you typically have a team of, of pickers who are picking the tea generally in the morning, preferably in a sunny environment um, or at least an environment that doesn't have rain or moisture on the plants because um, that can affect the quality of, of the tea later on. And then you'll have a second team that's managing the factory and managing the processing and crafting of the leaf. So it's it's usually a two-team operation to process
1: tea. So if it's if it's wet or if it's raining, would they just wait until it dried? Like yeah. That. Maybe wait okay. till the
0: next day. Yes. And so one of the, one of the, the, uh, the tasks of the factory management system in the, at the tea farm, let's say during the course of the spring harvest, you know, the factory can handle a certain amount of throughput per day. And that depends on, on the size of the farm and their particular um, apparatus that they have in their factory. So they'll have a certain volume throughput that they can handle on a day. And so, in most tea regions, they're not harvesting the entire farm in one day. They'll har- harvest it in micro lot parcels. And that might take, you know, one to three weeks of harvesting across all the different parcels of, of the farm and processing those in daily micro lot productions at the factory. And so the, the tea master that's that's operating the factory will be in close communication with the pickers to advise them on, you know, how much to bring in on any given day, um, how much they can handle and you know, can we afford to wait a day yeah. if it's rainy, but it, it can be challenging if you end up with a week in a row with a lot of heavy rain, like at some point you have to produce the leaf. Otherwise you're going to run out of time right. um, from that spring season. So these are some of the trade-offs that the team master has to consider during the course of, uh, the very busy tea season.
1: Well, so like, can it, um, does it mess with, I know you'll get into like, like oxidation and stuff like that. Like what is it if it's wet or it's not in a sunny scenario? Like, like what does it, what does it mess up? Or I'm just curious.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It kind of dampens the potential for the polyphenolic oxidation to produce, you know, rich, flavorful, uh, flavor compounds and aroma compounds yeah. in the tea leaf after it's harvested, hmm. and so it um, kind of dilutes and thins out the the potential aromatic quality because uh, a lot of that gets um, diminished from that excess moisture on the, on the leaf.
1: Huh. That's interesting. So I guess, um, you know, I, I'm in the southeast united states and if like let's say it's it's a a summer and it rains too much like it if you had like say a tomato like you would prefer and and you would get more taste out of a vine ripened tomato that hasn't had too much water if it has too much water then at least I don't know if it's the same thing or same concepts or not, but it does tend to dull out the the taste a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a constant dance, you know, that the tea master, the pickers, and you know, it's this, it's this kind of dance with mother nature. You know, every year, the, the campaign, they typically refer to the harvest periods as campaigns. It's That's sort awesome. of like, all right, we've got a field in response to what mother nature throws our way. It's really it's really beautiful and energizing to see that relationship between the people and the plants and nature during the course of the season. Um, It's this constant kind of tuning of your, of your empathy with nature to kind of understand what, what is going on inside the plant and inside the leaf during that time. And then to anticipate how you can, you know maximize the quality through your craftsmanship you know after the harvest
1: stick with us i'm kenneth thomas and this is coffee 101 all right 101ers so today we are talking about tea in our three episodes about tea and it's great we're learning stuff if you're looking for coffee education then look to all the other episodes and speaking of education if you're a shop out there and you're looking to train your baristas especially with the onboarding process then look no further than coffee 101 you can hand select what you want them to learn or you can just have them go straight through and it's free all you gotta do is just get them on it and get them learning so hope that helps you out there now let's get back to the show with jeff of rishi tea well, cool. So you have the you have the leaves and the buds picked, or they're harvested. The campaign has happened. Yes. Um, and now you have to get it to where we can drink it, which would be green tea, yellow tea, white tea, oolong, black, pu'er, or however you say it. Um, I know yes. you say it a, a lot better than I do. Um. So the question is, do all those or can all those come from the exact same bush or do you have a green tea bush and a black tea bush?
0: Yeah, right on. So we we touched on that a bit in the last episode, um, but there are certain, certain cultivars or varietals of the tea plant that are better suited to produce, you know, say green and white teas, and others that are better suited by their nutrient composition to make oolong or black teas. Um, but for the sake of, you know, simplicity and walking the audience through the different processing steps that delineate, you know, the different styles of tea, um, you know, we can just refer to it as, as harvesting of the fresh leaf and now talking about the craftsmanship that's applied. Um, so the fresh leaf is brought to the factory and the and the first step for all the styles of tea is called withering. Okay. And you know one of the the chief things that we're trying to accomplish at the farm in processing the leaf is to get an overall reduction in the moisture content that's inside those fresh leaves by about 4 to 1 reduction in Um, the water content and the mass of the tea through the drying of the tea. And so in a lot of ways, like processing tea is the art of slowly uh, and artfully crafting and drying the tea using different techniques. Um, So withering is the first step, which helps us reduce the moisture content and start to relieve some of that, that water mass that's, Trapped inside the cell walls of the leaf. So, what does withering look like? Depends on the farm, but typically the leaf is spread out in thin, um, in a thin layer. It could be on a mesh screen that might be elevated above the floor. And sometimes we have fans that are blowing air gently underneath this like long mesh containing. You know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of fresh leaf, yeah. And that that fan is creating air circulation, which is encouraging the moisture inside the leaf to slowly evaporate into the air. You can think of it like if you have, you know, spinach, you know, sitting out, it's going to slowly wilt, and it might be, you can you can feel the kind of um, the firmness and the 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 it's a little bit crispy even when you, when you touch and even hear as you squeeze the fresh spinach right out of your fridge, how it has that kind of resistance. It's crisp. And three, four hours later, it's a lot softer, right? And you can feel it kind of wilting and withering. So we do that to the, to the tea leaf for that moisture to be evaporating out of the leaf. And during that time, some important things are happening the cell walls inside the leaf are collapsing and we're starting to get this um, natural chemical uh, uh, process or reaction, which is an enzyme called a polyphenol oxidase is beginning to react with the polyphenolic tannins that are inside the tea leaf and reacting with the air to trigger a chemical reaction known as polyphenolic Oxidation,
1: fancy Typically words.
0: abbreviated to just oxidation of tea. Yeah. And so oxidation of tea and the polyphenolic oxidation is it's the conversion of fresh green tea tannins into more and more complex forms of tannins. And so we have this this pretty cool color chart. Um, you can find it on our website or in our lookbook. That illustrates the conversion of those tannins from green to yellow and orange to red and finally to brown in this kind of series of of chemical reactions that transforms the tannins that are inherent into the leaf so that begins happening right away during this withering process when those cell walls are collapsing and it's gently triggering this enzyme to start that reaction so what does that mean for taste? Well, if you've ever h- tasted the, the leaf freshly picked off the plants, which we do when we're walking through the farms, we'll, we'll you know grab a bud or a leaf and, and catch a taste. It's very bitter. It's very grassy, very kind of a raw, green, grassy taste. Um, it's very energizing too, by the way. And as that withering happens and that oxidation starts to occur, that raw green um, character is being transformed into kind of a subtle floral character okay And so withering is very important for us to curb the grassiness and develop kind of florality inside the leaf
1: That's cool because it sounds it, it sounds really similar to coffee um, on a couple of fronts and so like for example when you're talking about withering I almost would liken that to... Um, part of the processing that is done for coffee, especially on the back end, to, in a practical sense, get it down to a moisture content that's low enough that it's going to store well without molding. Um, And then, you know, when you're talking about going from grassy to more fruity, floral, you know, stuff like that, That is where, for us, the roasting process comes in. So if you are on that light side, it would be more grassy, and then you start to move into fruity, floral, um, and then you go from there into sweetness, or even if you're on the way back end, um, and I'm sure we'll talk maybe a little bit about the Maillard reaction in tea, which we see in the roasting process in coffee. Then eventually you get all the way on the other end, which is like your your body and your um, your darker bitters and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's amazing to see that that artisan you know uh, development of flavor, and it takes time. You know, it takes attention and time. Um, yeah, so so this withering is a crucial first step in the tea production, and all the styles of tea the leaf is going to be withered. It also makes the leaf more supple and softer, which makes it easier to, to manipulate and shape the leaf, yeah. which is a, another crucial component of what we're trying to achieve. So we're trying to you know, dry the leaf slowly and shape the leaf. Let's talk about white tea. It's the most minimally processed of all the styles of tea. Okay, So the leaf is harvested, it's withering, and it's simply withered until it's dry it's not rolled or shaped um or fired with with um a walk or a drum roaster it's basically allowed to continue withering until dry and that might take two or three days uh, depending on the ambient condition of the of the withering room And it's so, it's so remarkable. Like even something as simple as allowing the leaf to dry has a whole lot of nuance in the artistry that the tea makers might apply. Yeah. So there are withering rooms where we have, um, kind of like a, a solar roof. Um, so the roof is made in such a way that it amplifies the sun's energy coming into the withering room. And so the withering rooms can be very warm, um, and, you know, a lot of dynamic air circulation to really uh, accentuate um, and accelerate the the drawing process. Some of them have an apparatus that allows the leaf to be rotated. You know, some sun exposure and then some shade exposure, yeah, and that's cool. gradually teasing out that that flavor. And so, what you what you'll see if you look at if you look at the the final product of white tea, you'll see a variety of colors. You'll see some green, you'll see some yellow, you'll see little tinges of orange. And what you're looking at with with that final leaf is that's that kind of various levels of oxidation that have occurred within the leaf during this low and slow withering process. And so you get a very smooth taste. You get a very um, luscious, flowery, and slightly peachy aroma that comes into most white teas And, um, you know, it's, it's really remarkable how that low and slow withering kind of smooths out all of those grassy tea polyphenol tannins into these softer, sweeter, yellow and orangish tannins. And so, yeah, so if you take silver needles or white peony, white teas and brew them and then examine the wet infused leaf, you'll see that kind of variation of coloring on that on that wet leaf. Uh, the greens, the yellows, the oranges, and it's just remarkable how that low and slow oxidation through withering um, allows that flavor development to curb the grassiness and accentuate the sweetness. Um, so that's that's the simplest style of tea, and it's simply withered until dry.
1: Well, let, okay, so let me ask you this. So you were talking about the silver needles. Is that the one on the last episode? you're saying is like that, that early springtime, um, like, like the one that I, I don't know, would you say is more prized or what would you Absolutely. say? Absolutely. Silver
0: needles fetches a premium price in the world market for a couple of reasons. Like it's only harvested in springtime uh-huh. and it, it's just the unopened buds of the tea plant That are harvested. That's why it's called needles. It has the needle shape of the bud. And as that tea dries, you'll see um, this kind of white downy fuzz, these little hairs on the the outside of the bud. And those, those get raised up off of the bud during this withering process. Those are called trichomes. And so it's the same kind of downy fuzz on the outside of a peach. It's actually a natural defense mechanism of the tea plant to prevent bugs from chewing on the buds while they're still growing on the plant. Huh. And so those those little trichomes fend off uh, pesky insects. And what we love about trichomes in the finished tea is it lends this kind of cotton candy sweetness and luscious mouthfeel to the brood cup. So you know, silver needles is one of the most cherished teas worldwide every year because of its scarcity, because of the intensity of the, you know, how much harvesting it takes to produce, you know, a mass of, of that tea. And it's, it's uh, just finite and scarce.
1: That's cool. Okay. So that's white tea and that's probably the simplest, even though we also went off on the tangent of silver needles is a really cool, you know, way to in white tea have it. Tell me about some others
0: yeah, so for green tea, it's that harvesting, withering, firing, whether through steam or pan roasting or drum roasting. And you know what we typically see is in Japan, steaming is the most common method of firing. So most Japanese green teas that you all are gonna see out there like Sencha uh, are are steamed. And so you get this more, kind of grassy, refreshing vegetal character on, on those teas bittersweet um, compared to in China, the more common technique is pan roasting or drum roasting. And so you tend to get more of a, of a nutty sweetness on those Chinese green teas. And so we always encourage cafes as they're building out a green tea menu to make sure they've got space on the menu for both a steamed green tea and, uh, and a roasted green tea. Cause they offer the consumer, you know, considerably different experiences of green tea. Um, but it's just amazing. Even within that family of green tea, the diversity of flavors that we can seek out through the different styles of tea. So yeah, there you have green tea in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's cool. Um, and, You know, before I let you go uh, for this episode and then the next, we'll continue on through the different teas. Since we're talking about green tea, could you speak on matcha and, like, what that is and how that relates to green tea? Because, you know, people who aren't used to tea may not really know, and much less know, like, what's, what's the difference in, like, ceremonial, I mean, like, like anything about matcha,
0: Awesome. Yeah, so powdered green tea originated in, in China um, centuries and centuries ago. And during the, the Song Dynasty, they even had uh, the original like latte art competitions, we can say, where there'd be these competitions to um, whisk what they call it mocha in Chinese. So they okay. would whisk the mocha and try to create the longest lasting legs on the bowl like we have legs when you swirl a glass of wine and it and the and the wine drips back down uh-huh they, they would do that with the mocha to create the thickest foam that would take the longest to drip down they would have blind tasting competitions to try to identify the growing regions of where the mocha came from um, so it's pretty cool to to see that these kind of competitions go way back uh, in the world of tea and uh, Japan, you really refined the art of making powdered tea over the last couple hundred years. And so matcha is the shade grown stone ground green tea powder of Japan. And it's a really special way of enjoying tea because when you prepare matcha, you take the powder and you whisk it with a, With a bamboo brush called a chasen, and you integrate the water, the tea powder, and air to create this kind of luscious, foamy, um, you know, drink. And so you actually ingest and consume the ground-up tea leaf powder when you enjoy matcha, whereas other green teas were in drinking an infusion of the leaf mass, and the leaf gets filtered out, Right. And so matcha is really special. It's shade grown at the farm before harvest. And the shading, which you know traditionally was bamboo frames and, and thatch placed over the plants. Nowadays, they have black and white and silver kind of mesh that gets draped over the plants. And they'll, they'll shade the tea plants for anywhere from two to four weeks um, prior to the harvest. Shading stresses the plant. It challenges the plant to try to produce more chlorophyll to capture the sun's energy through the mesh. And so it produces deeper deeper green, um, wider, thinner, more tender tea leaf compared to tea that's exposed to the sun. And so why would that be ideal for matcha? Well, ultimately, we're going to grind the leaf into a powder. And if we have that more tender leaf, there's going to be less fiber in the leaf and it's going to be a smoother a smoother grind and it also changes the the chemistry of the of the leaf in a way that preserves the amino acids that are natural inside the tea leaf and amino acids give us a character of umami and richness yeah and tea leaves that are exposed to the sun the sun converts those amino acid constituents into um, the polyphenolic tannins. And so teas that are exposed to the sun, you're getting this conversion slowly of amino acids going down and tannins coming up. But when we shade the tea plants for matcha, we're preserving the amino acids and preventing tannins from being developed. And that's going to come through nicely in the final powder Because the amino acids, again, they have that umami flavor, and the tannins, just like for wine, they provide a sense of astringency or dryness, and with how intense matcha is to consume, we want to have more of that amino acid richness character and a little bit less of the sharpness of tannins. It makes for a smoother uh, bowl of matcha at the end of the day and final thought on, on matcha, like it is awesome for cafes. Yeah. We can really think of it as like the espresso of tea and you can use like a a fundamental shot of matcha, just like you would use an espresso shot as the basis for all of the different traditional um, cafe drinks. Matcha can be compounded into Americanos, lattes, cappuccinos, all the different kinds of, Um, traditional cafe drinks can be built up from a shot of matcha as the
1: base cool um okay so a couple questions while i was thinking about it uh as you were going through that when you're using the matcha powder or you know the powder the green tea do you is there like a specific like in in coffee we talk about coffee to water ratios is there like any kind of specific like ratio for matcha, like powder to water, or how does that work?
0: Yeah, yeah, there are two traditional ratios of powder to water in matcha tradition, usucha and koi cha. Usucha means thin tea, and koi cha means thick tea. Usucha is the much more common um, ratio of powder and water that we enjoy, um, today. And it's about two grams of matcha powder to about 75 up to hundred ML of water, milliliters okay. of water. And with that ratio, you can use the Chaucin to whisk the powder, the water, and it incorporates air and creates this kind of suspension and emulsion of the powder into the, into the water. Um, and you can create a nice, rich, you know, kind of thick foam on the top of the bowl. That's a, that's a good target to, to shoot for. And um, it can be a really luscious and smooth taste. And I, I should mention, as a pro tip, it's really important to sift the matcha powder into the bowl before you add the water to whisk. Uh. Because there's static electricity in the air causes the matcha powder to form clumps unto itself. And so we just need to break those clumps up briefly before we get into whisking, so that we get the the smooth beverage. Mm. And koi cha, the thick tea, it's actually a four x concentration over usucha, so it's double the tea and half the water, oh. and it really creates almost like a paste um, in the bowl. And it's it's traditionally part of the the Japanese tea ceremony, um, chanoyu. No to enjoy you know koi cha and sometimes usu cha in addition um so it's it's a lovely cultural experience which i encourage everyone to try at least once um and you really want to pick a really high grade of matcha for the koi cha experience because it's all right there in that really rich um concentrated preparation
1: huh that sounds cool um okay one last question with temperature for, well, I guess it's two questions. Uh, temperature and steep time for our white and our green teas. Like, tell me, because I know it's not like how every or most every coffee shop, whichever coffee shop's going to deny this, but, you know, does it where they just do whatever, the temperature is of the water they use for coffee. They just put a tea bag or whatever in there, and then they say, do this for four minutes and then take it out. But it's not yeah. exactly that. So tell me, before we leave today, as far for white tea and green tea, what are we looking at for temperature and steep time?
0: Yep, yeah, we got you, Coffee 101 crew. Um, so white tea and green tea. Let's start with white tea. White tea is is more accommodating in terms of the range of water temperatures and infusion times that slow withering process and that slow transformation of those raw green tannins that we talked about that that creates a really soft and smooth character of tannins inside the white tea and so typically we brew white teas anywhere from 180 degrees Sometimes if I'm looking for a little bit more oomph from the tea, I might even push it to, you know, 195 or water that's cooled just off of a boil. But in that kind of range, 180 to 190, 195, that's going to be a great range of water temperature to brew white tea. And infusion times can range from, you know, three to five minutes, and you're going to get a really lovely Um, extraction of of the white tea with that ratio. Green tea is the most sensitive of all the types of tea in managing water temperature and infusion time. And the reason is those green teas, they've been fired early on in their oxidation paradigm. And that firing is going to lock in those green tannins, which have the greatest sharpness compared to all the later kinds of tannins, the yellow, the orange, and the red family of theoflavins and thearubigins, et cetera. And so when we're brewing green tea, we need to be mindful that the hotter the water temperature and the longer we infuse it, that's going to extract on those tannins more and more. So we traditionally cool the water down um, to about 175 to 185 degrees as a sweet spot for preparing green tea. And I'll say that the steamed green teas, you know, we prefer water temperatures on the cooler side of that range because they've already been blanched or steamed in their process, and so they are ready to yield all of their nutrients into the infusion. Whereas the pan-roasted or drum-roasted green teas, you know, we can actually use a bit um, higher water temperature in that range, closer to the 185 degrees Fahrenheit to really pull out some of those aromatic compounds from the roasting, um, and it takes a little bit more for that leaf to release its essence. So green tea, we're looking at 175 to 185 degrees as a general range. Japanese sencha, I mean, some of those teas can infuse as quickly as 60 seconds.
1: Huh.
0: Um, some might have up to two minutes. Kind of depends on the on the particular style of sencha. And Chinese green teas, you know, we typically infuse for about two to three minutes for the for the best flavor. Okay, and you know all all of our loose leaf teas come with those specific time and temperature and dosage recommendations um, to help people get calibrated.
1: Gotcha. And so the Japanese, am I right? That's the steamed.
0: Yes, most often they do have some pan roasted teas too, but. Most Japanese green teas are going to be steamed, yeah.
1: And the Chinese would be, which one? Or it's not steamed, typically, it's...
0: Typically more pan-roasted or pan drum-roasted. Roasted. Okay. Although they do have some steamed teas as well, but and so,
1: generally... Yeah. And so the pan-roasted or drum-roasted or traditionally Chinese green tea, you would brew a little longer and a little higher temperature in that range you were saying. Yes, Whereas the steamed, you'd go a little lower on the temperature and a little faster on the brew time. That's right. Okay. All right, I think I got it. Okay, cool. All right, man, I'm going to let you go, and I will see you next week, and we will finish out everything everybody needs to know about tea.
0: Awesome. Thanks.
1: Did you learn a little bit?
2: I did. More about tea than I ever thought I had to know.
1: Yeah, but it's fascinating, or I think it's fascinating. But I like learning about all kinds of stuff. So
2: yeah, me too.
1: My the one that was the the most fun for me was talking about the white tea, and um, you know, just like that as a um, just the details that went into it. And I have a better appreciation now for white tea because yeah. of that. And the matcha part was pretty cool too. Yeah. I mean, I I'm. You know, a lot of people I know are really big into matcha, and now I understand better kind of what it is. It's fun. You like it?
2: Matcha culture. Matcha
1: culture. There you go. All right, that's all we got today on Coffee 101, which was overtaken today by T101. So we want you all to do a couple of things, like always. We would love for you to leave us a rating or review and if you have coffee questions or tea questions then in the comments of the actual rating leave those questions and we would love to answer them here and we'd love for you to tell a friend about coffee 101 and so until next time i'm kenneth and i was joined by katie see you later peace out